Welcome to Heavy Hitter Sports, the podcast focused on game-changing athletes, teams, and business leaders, and how they've overcome adversity to achieve success. You'll receive great advice on tackling challenges from the best in the game and be entertained by inspirational behind-the-scenes stories. I'm Mark Hogesang, and my deep love and knowledge of sports and 30 years of management experience at Nike, Adidas, and Easton will shape my commentary. Remarkable athletes, sports figures, and business teammates will also share their personal journeys and insights. Lace them up. It's game time. Thanks for joining us for part two of Jake Olson's inspirational story. In this episode, Jake shares his memories of three pivotal games during his amazing college football career at USC. Notably, he highlights the moment of bliss against Western Michigan when he becomes the first blind athlete to play in a college football game. Jake also shares his deep love for the game of golf and his faithful dog, Quebec. Please enjoy. Let's fast forward just a little bit to that seminal day, September 2nd in 2017, when you make your first game appearance in the Coliseum. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you were thinking beforehand, afterwards? Yeah, so I... I take you back at even a couple more months. Oh. Um, you know, I was snapping a lot my freshman year and everything happened which, with Coach Sarkeesian that year, which was kind of crazy. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And after that, you know, it was kind of just, you know, Coach Helton was named the, the yeah. head coach yeah. at the end of the season. But, you know, how that goes, every assistant coach doesn't know their their role or whatever. Sure, yeah. Going. yeah. It was a mess. And so what I mean by that is like, I, I was still snapping, but like, I definitely wasn't, you know, thinking I was going to be snapping anytime soon, just because again, that was just such a mess. Yeah. And then my sophomore year, I was, was snapping. And I remember at the end of the year for Rose Bowl practice, weirdly enough, like I was getting a ton of snapping time at during practice, like in, in you know, in live reps and, and, you know, the, the field goal, portion of practice and I I was ramping up and I remember literally thinking like man like am I gonna get like my first opportunity in the Rose Bowl like I almost I was like up for it but I just was like (laughs) I'd rather not be yeah (laughs) you know just I mean yeah it's such a huge stage and um again I was totally down like I was by no means gonna say no but I just in the back of my head I was like man I don't know if this makes a lot of sense luckily that that didn't happen I'll, I'll say it luckily it didn't happen I just I, I don't know if I would want to do that but um the next fall camp you know the next time we were really kind of at um you know at, at back at practice and obviously besides spring camp but um when we were at fall camp I started you know picking up where I left off from and snapping the ton of, in, in practice and sure enough about oh you know a couple of days went I think it was Wednesday or Thursday of that before our first game coach Houghton came to me in the weight room and he said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure everything's worked out to where you're going to be able to snap on Saturday. And, you know, you deserve, you've earned it. You deserve it. I feel like you're ready. What was cool is he, you know, he, he wanted me to, to snap in the second quarter, you know, thought that I was, that was going to be the opportunity to do it. And so I was psyching myself up and, you know, I felt ready. Like I really did. I, I was, I was snapping well. And, you know, it was, it was something I didn't want to psych myself over. It was more kind of excitement than any, any nerves. 
I was out there, obviously, it felt good. And it didn't happen in the second quarter. Um, it, was, it was really kind of a weird game up to the to the fourth quarter. And to be honest with you, I almost kind of had this this moment where I was like, okay, like it's not going to happen today. Then, which I always joke is like the long snapper's worst fear um, because we, we do like to kind of be ready and prepared and get our, our snaps on the sideline as soon as kind of the offense gets the ball. And then usually depending on the long snapper, but I always would snap one or twice when the offense got the ball. And then once or twice when we kind of crossed like the 50, get in the red zone area as a long snapper, like what you don't want is a sudden score, you know, if a kickoff return or a yeah. punt return or a, a pick six or something. Yep. And so sure enough, here we are in the late fourth quarter. I don't know if I'm going to get a, a chance to snap. And then Marvel tell picks off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and runs exactly it what you don't want to see happen yeah. exactly i'm like and then you know all, all of a sudden like my my blood pressure shoots through the roof because i'm like wait is this gonna be it um because wow. i'm not i'm not warmed up at all really and sure enough coach helton yells down and you know jake you're right? i'm like oh my gosh like here we go wow. so wow um you know fortunately he he uh, called a timeout and you know i was able to get i think two or three snaps right. real quick right. um but we uh we went out there and yeah I mean I just remember kind of running out there and kind of hearing the crowd cheer and I don't know I, like I just couldn't help but smile just at that moment I really didn't even care how it went to be honest like I really didn't care what happened just because at the end of the day like I I worked my tail off to get out there and to kind of earn that yeah of course. and you know I wasn't gonna I wanted to do well and I believed I would do well but I just I didn't want the the result to be the determining factor if like it was. You. Yeah. It's the journey. It's not the actual right. moment itself. Yeah. But you know, I, I didn't feel any nerves to be honest with you. Once I got over the ball and was holding that ball, just like, man, this is like obviously what I've done a thousand times, 10,000, hundred thousand times before. So I'm not really that, you know, it's not like, Oh my gosh, what do I do? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I was just so overwhelmed with joy. I was so overwhelmed like this, this feeling of like, I am literally out here, yeah. As a Trojan during a live college football game Amazing. with my hand on a ball. Well, you um, can see it on your face because the smile is so broad, right? Yeah. In the replays like, at the just, moment. It, it was not, there was no nerves. I, and, and then sure enough, you know, I snapped and it was awesome. But I, yeah, it was, it was just an incredible feeling of, of joy. I mean, it, it really, there was, there was not a lot of, of anything else, but, but pure bliss. Well, it was your moment, but obviously it meant a lot to not just your family, but to the whole USC family and to sports fans in general, clearly college football fans, because that was the story that weekend. And then you also became the uh, Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week as well that week. By virtue yeah, of right. And, you know, kind of to your point, I always kind of mention this, but as, as cool as it would have it would have been if you know i was just some random you know blind long snapper going out there snapping which you know i think would is, is it would have been incredible within itself but i i think what made this this more impactful and, and i think more special than even a uh, story of, of that nature is that again we talked about it today i had my first esp piece come out at the, at the age of 2009 and that definitely went around the internet and, and did its rounds and people knew me and people saw me go through that very difficult moment of, of going blind and saw the USC team there for me and everything that we talked about. And 
because of that, and you know, ESPN did a couple updated pieces on College Game Day throughout yeah. high school and stuff, yeah. and they did they did one as soon as I got to SC as a freshman, and so that by the time I went out there and snapped, like everyone had kind of been waiting for this moment. Everyone had been kind of waiting for this this exactly. pinnacle moment. Because of that, everyone kind of felt part of the story. Yep. I mean, I really yep. do feel like Trojan Nation is specifically, but all of you know College Nation. You know, I, yep. I have people from every background in sports but you know notre dame fans ohio state fans They're, i've been following you since the age of 12 like i saw you out there when you were a little kid with coach carroll and like so also when you so everyone kind of felt like they grew up with me they saw me grow up like they were exactly. rooting for me the whole time and by the time i went out there and snapped like everyone just kind of felt like hey we were part of this kid's journey like we were here cheering for him as yep. he walked out on the field as a little 12 year old going blind and we're cheering for him now as a 20 year old going out there to snap and I think that's what made it so special because it, it really was, I was a part of these people's energy, emotion, passion for eight yep. years plus. Now you hit it on the head. I mean, I think that's why it's so meaningful for so many people that don't even know you directly. I mean, I can only speak to our, our household. My wife went to USC, my son went to USC. We followed your story avidly through those years. And I think for some fans who may not have been as close to it, they may have remembered 2009 with you as a 12-year-old, a skinny but tall 12-year-old. And then by the time you're a junior, you're weighing in at, what, 245? I mean, you're, you're built, right? Um, you're, you're, you're a totally different person at that point, but we have traveled right. that journey on some level with you. So it was such a vindication and so exciting for so many people. Yeah. It was, and, and again, I felt it the whole way. I mean, and that's what kind of made it special is right. just to, to have everyone in those stands that again, were were praying for me and cheering me on as a 12 year old. And um, to be able to give that to them at, at, at that moment in time was, was what made it even more special than again, just going out there and snapping the ball. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was amazing. If we um, fast forward then to the next Rose bowl, that amazing game against Penn state, um, there you're on the sidelines. You're not actually on the field snapping in that one situation. But can you talk to us about that game? Because that's literally one of the best college games ever played. Yeah, so um, that was that was a crazy, crazy, crazy game just because I felt we were playing really good ball at that point. I felt like we really had meshed as a team and we were kind of on a roll. We were up in that game. We, we were actually playing really well. And yeah. Um, you know, Penn State had a lot of good guys on the team that year. And Shaquan Barkley. Yeah. Yeah. So we we knew it was going to be a tough team. I mean, it was kind of it, – it really did almost present itself as a perfect matchup because Penn State and USC were kind of these teams that struggled early on but it had just been on a, a tear, especially down the road. It was just this this pendulum of, of momentum that was on us, and then it slid all the way over to Penn State. And I think they scored like 21 unanswered points and we are now behind 15 points. And it just was really this crazy kind of frustration that then overcame us. And then, you know, we scored um, to make it an eight point game or actually I think we went for two set so to make it a seven point game. And then I think what really was the dagger um, was after we scored to make it an eight point game again, after they went, you know, had a 21 Oh run, we we're like, okay, let's let's get out there, let's get this ball back, um, and and make this puppy a ball game, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think at this point it was like late in the third quarter, even the fourth quarter. The rest had been iffy. All I remember, yeah. there's there no, like there some tough calls in that game. Yeah, 
like in the back of the end zone, I, there was a, a, a touchdown they called for Penn state that I really didn't think was a touchdown, but then they can they come and I think it was, um, it was Cam Smith who got ejected for this, this hit that was suspect and really gave Penn state. And I think there was another call even on that. They literally, I think gave him like two 15 yard, you know, um, yeah. personal right. foul on Mac first down penalties on that drive and Penn state ended up scoring to make it, you know, 14 point game again. And that stadium got quiet because it felt, cause we were there, I was there with my son and it felt at that point where like, Oh my goodness, we are going to lose this game. Right. Right. There are too well, many things saying. that like, are we, stacked we kinda, up against us. Yeah. Yeah. We, we pushed to get back to, to kind of get the momentum back on our side, maybe. And it just felt like the ref did everything in power for that, that <laughs> subsequent drive to make yep. sure like, Hey, no, Penn state's not going to punt this ball back to you and they're going to score. So here we are down 14. Then, you know, we, we do go drive and score. And then at this point, it's really late in the fourth quarter. So we need a three and out. And with Saquon Barkley on the other side of that ball running for three, three downs, you don't know what's going to happen. But very fortunately, we did stop the, excuse me, we did stop them and we got the ball back and almost, almost too quickly we score. And it was just, I mean, I don't know what kind of, you know, balls Sam had that day, but oh, he was amazing. triple coverage like that. Oh my goodness. That throw is just incredible. And Herb Street's, yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just as absurd. And sure enough, we, we have the game tied with like, you know, a minute and some change left or 50 seconds or whatever it was. And I, we, we just couldn't believe that we were actually tied. And then sure enough, you know, Penn State then was, was thinking, okay, let's just get a field goal range in the next minute here, kick a field goal to win. And then sure enough, I remember literally – it was because it was McSorley, wasn't it? It was Trace McSorley. Yeah, yeah. He's the quarterback for Penn State. Trace almost threw a pick. Yeah. Uh, and we dropped it. And I was so like, oh my gosh, like there was our opportunity. Um, and then the next play, he actually did throw one. Like it was Yeah, it was he comes really back to almost the same play. And I don't know if that was destined for Godwin, who's on that team as well, you know, that great receiver. And is it Marvell Tell? Is it Tell who intercepts the ball? I can't remember who. I think it was. I think it was Marvell. Yeah. But yeah, so literally it was like, here we go. This is going crazy at this. Yeah, the place is just going crazy. Right. So he returns it to, I think, like the 41 or something. So we got, I think we had like seven seconds or something left. And we we Mm -hmm. kind of throw this out that gets us six yards. You know, maybe we're on the 38 or something. I I forget, but we, we do pick up like a couple yards. And I think it was ended up being like a 49 or 50, 51 yarder. I forget somewhere in that neighborhood. Well, as a, as a long snapper in a game where 14 touchdowns are scored, it must be sweet victory when USC wins on a 45-yard field goal from that Bormeister. That must have felt yeah. No, it felt, it felt great. I mean, it really it, – it, it was, you know, such a sweet moment. It's, it's something that any specialist feels, you know, vindicated in because, again, you know, you – you know, USC never had this problem, but I know, like, some people, some players, you know, don't – always respect the specialists as, as football players, as much as, mm-hmm. you know, other positions and, you know, people forget like, you know, this, this is a part of the game that, you know, can literally win you or lose you the game. And to have those moments where it does win you the game, you know, just really is a sweet, sweet, sweet moment. And kind of, I guess, additionally, I felt, and I'll, I'll kind of switch to another sweet game of my uh, career at SC, but the Texas game, my um, my junior year, when we ended up being 
Texas at the Coliseum in double overtime. Oh, yeah, I was there too. And, and, and Darnold comes through in the clutch, right? Right, he does. And so Chase, our kicker, you know, kicks a, a game-tying field goal and then a game-winning field goal. I remember being an eight-year-old um, at the, you know, USC-Texas game in 2005 and how devastating that was. Oh, yes. And so to feel, you know, even though I wasn't snapping at the um, for the game-winning field goal at Texas, like I am there every day snapping and helping Chase kick balls. And I'm there snapping to Wyatt every single day who's holding the ball, you know, and yeah. just to kind of feel like I was part of a – of the success that was, you know, to beat Texas then uh, in oh, the Coliseum, yeah. you know, that many years later, I, I really felt like that was a sweet moment in my life just because, again, I was so devastated after that Texas loss that to come back and be a contributor in, in helping our team, uh, our team win was awesome. Well, and I, I would say this, I don't know if I'm fully over it, but it's taken me minimally 15 years to get over that loss. And there were so many moments in that game that could have gone either way. There were about 20 yes. moments on either side, right? Yes. They were crazy calls, fumbles, bad rep. I mean, so many things, great play on both sides. Obviously Vince Young, you know, took it upon himself and fourth and five. And, yeah. you know, arguably that was one of the best football games ever played in college football. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And, and to think that actually that happened in the same year as the Bush push back in Notre Dame, <laughs> that year was incredible. Coach Carroll, uh, what's, what's the saying has a, uh has something for theatrics or um, I, I forget the exact saying, but he, he, he has infinity for theatrics or whatever. He, he oh. knows how to make, uh, make games interesting. We've seen it up in Seattle way too many times. Well, yes. And, and I was, um, I got up early cause I was really excited to be talking to you today. And so I was watching that um, final drive against Notre Dame in 2005, just to get psyched up. And it's so <laughs> amazing. And, and as Trojans, we know about fourth and nine, right? And Weiner yes. hitting Dwayne Jarrett and my son, who was 12 at the time, we had taped the game and he'd come back from his youth football game and he burst into tears because he was so excited. But what we forget is it was third and 20 before Ooh. that fourth and nine. Yes. And that seems unsurmountable. And then there's a pass to the flat for Bush and he gets his, you know, 10, 11 yards and then it's possible. And then that yeah. play occurs. But then obviously, you know, about the craziness at the end of it, where oh, theoretically yeah. Weiss and everyone else thinks the clock has run out. And of course, it hasn't. The ball from Weiner's hand has been knocked out of bounds. There's the we're going to fake, um, you know, and ground it and, you know, go for the field goal and everything else. And Weiss literally is still on the field as that final snap takes place. He's just so disoriented because he has no idea what's going on here. Maybe, or, or given how uh, two years ago went playing Notre Dame, and it seems like those coaches just like to be on the freaking field when we're playing a yeah. game. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's switch gears to um, one of the most important people or creatures in your life, and that's your dog Quebec. He's been with you for eleven plus years, I believe, and but he's actually gone through a recent setback as well. Can you tell us what's uh, what's up with Quebec and how he's doing? Yeah, he again, as you mentioned, he's he's um he's been my guide dog for almost ten years. He's he's eleven um he he's eleven and some months, but we don't actually get them till um they're around eighteen months. But um he has been my guide dog for almost ten years and has gone through all of high school and all of college with me. He's my best friend. He is definitely a very young eleven year old. He again, as I mentioned, hung out with high schoolers and college kids all his yeah. years. So right. yep. he, he he definitely got a lot of youth to him. But yep. yeah, he he we took him in for an annual checkup and he ended up having uh what they thought was a 
splenic mass, a, a tumor on his spleen, which is, is kind of scary just because one, you have to take out the spleen, which, you know, you can survive without, but you're, you're moving an organ, which is never um, yeah. what you want to do, but also they're in, you know, he, he's very healthy, energetic, energetic, and uh, has a, obviously a, like every Labrador, a, a big appetite. So he, he never really st- struck me as having, you know, some type of, of cancer in him. And, mm-hmm. but the problem with sometimes you splenic mass, the majority of the time can be, can be uh, spleen cancer, which is very uh, aggressive and, and can mm. really, uh, I think the expectancy uh, life, life, um, kind of a timeline of once you find out they have these, this cancer is like one to three months. So it was, it was like, Oh my gosh, like what's going on here. So we had to take them in last week to get surgery to remove that, that splenic mass in the spleen. And I got a call late afternoon that the surgery went well and it went even better than, than expected in the sense that the tumor wasn't even on his spleen. Um, it ended up being this, this kind of, uh, and we, we're still waiting to figure out if it's benign or malignant, but even the malignant version of this is not um, nearly as bad as a spleen, but right. it, it was a fatty mass that, you know, labs kind of get grown on the yeah. outside of their body. Yeah. Well, this was grown on the inside and hmm. it ended up being seven pounds. So this thing was wow. huge, um, but he's doing good <clears throat> and he's, he's back to normal. He, I think he feels like almost besides the big cut on his stomach, he feels like a new dog because there's not a literal human baby growing oh inside yeah of well him. yeah that must have put so much pressure on all sorts of things going right. on inside of him <laughs> so wow he's 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 definitely looks like uh, a new dog he's got hips again man he was so like bloated <laughs> and stuff he, he's got hips again so it's good that's good i'm glad things are trending in the right direction now one of the things you've also done is you've started your own business right engage with uh, if i correct daniel who was a sweet mate of yours when you were mm-hmm. a freshman in college can you tell us a little bit about the business, how that's going? I know you studied in Marshall in the business school at USC, but why mm-hmm. did you decide to go that direction, start your own business versus working for, let's say, a Fortune 500 company? So yeah, so Daniel became my one of my suite mates. I, I lived in a eight-person suite my freshman year on campus. Very fortunately, um, Daniel was one of one of the suite mates, and I was looking almost for someone to kind of become my manager and, and helping me field the request of speaking that I had been receiving over the last you know five years since that first ESPN piece came out in 2009 yep. and he uh he kind of grew up in Colorado around sports agents and was just kind of one of those kids who you know definitely was mature for his age and kind of understood what the role of a manager was from you know logistics and taking care of the client and everything and so I thought hey this would be kind of fun if for some reason you know he uh, came with me and try to set up this one speech I had down in San Diego. So I, I turned over the reins to him. He did great. And ever since he's been my manager, which was um, a very awesome kind of uh, perk to have in, in college of your kind of oh, yeah. best friend and, and sweet mate being awesome. your right hand man, because he became, he, he had that role when after I snapped my junior year, you know, everything kind of went crazy and it was just really kind of difficult for us to field a lot of these requests because they were coming in from every which angle and uh, we didn't know what was real or not. And I don't know, we just, we, we kind of had present, got, we, ha- we were presented with this idea of maybe like this kind of online booking platform deal. And Daniel knew someone who was kind of trying to undergo this, this um, venture. And it kind of, that, that idea kind of fizzled out, but it gave us the idea then of like, 
you know, why, why isn't there an online booking platform for speaking or for, you know, kind of booking talent instead of right. trying to yeah. figure out who's the right person to connect, who's your manager, who had agency. Cause you know, we, we came to find out there's a ton of agencies out there who say they represent people. They just don't. And they just want you yeah. to contact them to right. either take a cut somehow of getting you that person because they do know the right person or they're going to string you along for, uh, yep. for a couple weeks until they say that person's not available, even though they never asked them. And then they'll oh, I gotta, try to I gotta, give, give yeah. you someone they do represent. Right. We just understood after talking to a lot of people and finding out that and a, mu- a bunch of other things that this whole industry needed the, a digital footprint <laughs> it yeah. really did like it was antiquated it was yeah. you know these agencies like literally we would go and meeting with these these big big agencies in hollywood and they're like yeah like so here's our uh here's the our, our part of our office where you know we get our incoming checks we're like you guys still do like checks like you guys yeah we're still searching for check <laughs> like it's like man you guys there's there's something called ach but we created an online digital platform that basically helps digitize the process of booking talent for any type of experience yeah. um, from us, from a speech to um, a sweepstakes, maybe the, the talents wanting to, to fundraise and giving out cool prizes. If you, if you purchase a, an ability to, to enter into um, that kind of prize pool um, that usually goes to charity. We do like pop events with talent. Again, each talent offers an array of experiences that can be from a round of golf to cooking to bowling to whatever that talent's passionate about. We found that that really is something that's special because unlike, you know, the, the, an ordinary speech, which some talent really don't love or enjoy mm-hmm. doing, mm-hmm. they really obviously like everyone, you know, these are people too enjoy doing what they're passionate about and yeah, of course. if we can help them monetize that in any way shape or form or help engage their their fan base in that way i mean it really is amazing to kind of see the um the enthusiasm and excitement that comes from this talent to do something as simple as especially, like said, especially in this crazy year right i'm sure most of this stuff is probably being done online right now with some of your talent and what's amazing is you've got some of the biggest names in the game affiliated with engage right and i'll put in the show notes for the listeners um the link to the business but it's it's aaron rogers it's urban meyer it's ray lewis it's jessica mendez or uh, mendoza it's rachel nichols kevin de bruyne it, the list goes on well, let's talk about one of your true passions right now in a little more depth, and that's golf. Because if I understand this correctly, you want to become the first PGA blind golfer. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that journey and your aspirations? So, absolutely. I, I, I wanted just to become, um, growing up, you know, I wanted to become the best golfer I could be. Yeah, I mentioned as, as a youth kind of, you know, one day playing on the PGA Tour. Look, if, if I can ever get that good, I would absolutely be willing to uh, – I, I have had a couple, I guess, close experiences in the sense that um, I've played in, in, in two pro-ams, which have been really cool. I really saw an, uh, an ability in myself and a potential inside myself to, to be a really, really good golfer. And it really, up to that point then, was the, the work ethic and the amount of time I wanted to put into my game, because again, it wasn't some, I, I kind of mentioned this before. It wasn't something like, Oh, Jake, one day you'll be able to drive 320 yards. Like one day that ability is going to, to come to you. No, I, I, I saw pretty soon. I, I could stripe a golf ball. Um, I could have touch around the greens. I could be a really good golfer. Let's just hone in on those skills and make that your game then. And that's what I've done. You know, that's, that's what I, I continue to strive to do. 
and every time I go out there, you know, I, I get better. I've been working on my swing really hard as, as of the last year, trying to kind of fix some stuff that's been in my swing for a long time that I need to kind of filter out. Well, and for the viewers who are interested, there's a, there's a clip on um, YouTube and you're a top golf, right? And you've got a powerful swing, right? Even when I saw that, I was like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> One of the things I thought that was interesting in your book too, was you're talking about how to read greens without being able to see. And you were talking about, if I remember this correctly, there's a greater likelihood of a 10x factor of being able to read a green accurately with your feet versus your eyesight. We found that out after the after the fact, even of, of going blind. That yeah, there's, I think there's only about one in four golfers. I think it is that can accurately read greens with their eyes. Wow. Uh, and you know, and that and that even can change given shadows and light and. A lot of things can impact the uh, visual illusion of what a green's doing, and you'll see pros even you know they'll they'll walk just to kind of verify what they're seeing. And so, yeah, I, I walk all my putts. If if you know anyone's curious how I putt, you know I'll walk my putts, kind of figure out the distance and the undulation of the green from just feeling it with my feet. I'll I'll kind of I won't tell my dad necessarily like oh I want this two balls out to the right or I want this you know three balls out to the right. I will I will confirm yeah this is breaking right to left pretty good and he'll say you know he'll, he'll sometimes mention like okay so you think like three cups or something and i'll say yeah that sounds about right but i'll i'll let him kind of line up for me it's more just understanding what kind of pace i need to put it on the ball if it's a you know 16 foot putt a little uphill breaking right to left you know i, I need to understand what kind of you know how i'm going to be able to put that the right amount of speed on the ball where it's you know obviously not too soft but not too hard and, and able to take the break which he's lining up and so again a lot of touch a lot of practice you'd be amazed i mean going out there golf with my dad it's not a, this this intense uh intricate process of lining me up and making sure everything's good i mean it's it's quite simple we have a, a system down that's really quite simple it needs to be done correctly obviously to avoid mm -hmm. you know really bad shots but yeah um but it, it's simple and you know, you, you'd be out there with me and I've, I've golfed with people who just think that's how I get lined up and I could totally see until, you know, halfway through the round, which in which I make a comment or something I can't see. You know, I've, I've had people who are watching from like a house or something and they'll shout out like, oh, like, I wish I had someone to line me up. That looks so much easier or something. You know, they have oh, no idea. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I can't see. Um, <laughs> and my ball striking ability is, is really getting better and it has nothing to do with my lack of ability to see you know there's there's nothing out there at least in my opinion that hinders me from being a, a great ball striker the more you know time i put into to short game and, and kind of get those feels down um there's not much out there that i think my eyesight can hinder me from being a you know a good golfer all around so yeah i want to see how far i can take it i won the u.s blind nationals my first kind of blind tournament uh, in 2019 which was really fun and cool. I shot a 38 on the back nine of the final round. Oh my goodness. Really wow. Well, that's amazing. And I think maybe as a way of wrapping up, because I think this leads into it, right? I mean, you've overcome so many obstacles and you've done so many amazing things, especially for somebody who's 23, soon to be 24. But part of this is your mindset, right? And I think the vernacular that you use is the setup and the setback. Can you talk a little bit about that and you know, maybe share some inspirational tips for those that might be struggling in their own way, right? Because we all face challenges. Right. Yeah. And um, you, you, you hit it kind of on the head. And, and what I talk about a lot when I go and, and speak is finding the setup and the setback. And that's kind of the thesis in which I suggest it, it is 
how you're going to overcome adversity and how I've overcome adversity and, the, and, and how it goes is you're facing a setback that absolutely has every potential opportunity to become a setup. And I promise it will actually become a setup. Like every setback can become a setup if you choose to see it that way in the moment as of right now. I tell people if I were to have come home from the hospital that day after losing my eyesight and decided that life screwed me over and that there was really no opportunity to chase my dreams anymore and that I was going to quit. Look, my setbacks of going blind and facing cancer would have never become the setups they've become. Um, but it's because I went home that day and said, look, I'm going to not let blindness rob me of my childhood. I'm going to not let it rob me of my hopes and dreams. I'm going to continue to do the things I love and figure out a way to do them. Then I, they, they have become setups and they did present opportunities in which I try to capture every one of those. Um, and the same goes for you. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not anyone special in that, you know, somehow there were, there were more opportunities for me or somehow my setbacks were just set, set up better. Like I, I was a 12 year old who had faced cancer eight times for 12 years, who was going through hell as a child and ended up losing my eyesight completely. Like that, that's not, that's not a fairy tale. <laughs> it's not, no. That's not something that's that's really good in life. But nope. you've seen, as we talked about in the last hour here, what that's led to, um, and it's because I took that mindset. So I, I challenge who's ever listening. One, you got to tell yourself. You got to use the power of words to tell yourself that you are going to overcome this adversity. You know, there's no other option. You you've made that mindset right here, right now, that you are going to overcome what you're going through. That is not going to stop you. That you're going to move on from it, and you're going to have the courage then now that life's different and I don't know how it's different. Maybe you've lost a job. You've lost someone in your life. You've lost a body part. I don't, I don't know what adversity you're facing, but you're going to have the courage because it is scary now to go figure out life without that person, without that job. You're going to go figure out what you're passionate about, figure out a way, pursue that passion with passionate people, with a support system that supports you, loves you, cares for you. Find where those people are in your life, tap into those and the opportunities will come because you decided to push through that setback. The opportunities absolutely will come. You'll meet new people. You'll meet new relationships. You'll find new jobs. And when those, time, when those times come, capture those moments, capture those opportunities. And when you look back then in a year, two years, I don't know when, I'm not promising set, setups come tomorrow. But when you look back and say, wow, if it weren't for me going through what I'm going through right now, I would have never found this new job. If it weren't for me going through losing that person in my life, I would have never met this other person. I've never gone to that, that concert with that. I would have never gone to that, you know, support group that met my new best friend, you know, whatever the case is, you'll be amazed when you look back, just how I look back on my life and see, wow, if I never had gone through what I went through those setbacks, I've never seen the setups that are currently occurring in my life. Well, thank you, Jake. Those are amazing words of advice. Thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure speaking to you. I have followed your life um, from a distance for a number of years now, and it's been an amazing hour here discussing your wife, you sharing inspiration, having some laughs along the way. And I would love to connect on a future podcast when you get that PGA tour card and uh, <laughs> you're out there playing side by side with Tiger. So there you go. I wish you all the best on and off the links. So thank you so much, Jake. All right. Well, thank you and uh, fight on. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to Jake talking about his college football career, his golf aspirations, and his new business startup venture. Jake's been a hero of mine for years, so it was an honor helping to bring his inspirational journey to life on this podcast. In the show notes, I've included two videos. Club number one highlights Jake's first game appearance and the subsequent celebration as he successfully snaps 
on an extra point against Western Michigan. The second showcases Jake's top-notch golf skills during the tournament. Please enjoy. So what setback are you presently facing? More importantly, how can you rally and make that setback into a setup as Jake encourages? Of course, not many of us have the courage or the fortitude of a Jake Olson. But with the proper mindset and support system, we're all capable of overcoming obstacles and creating opportunities out of adversity. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe to my show wherever you listen to your podcasts. I've included my email in the show notes, and I'd love to hear from you regarding what courageous game-changing athletes you'd like to hear from next. Thanks, sports fans. The Game Clock has just expired. See you next time.